continuing in our series on John. We'll be in John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. You can read along with me silently as you see the words on the screen. John writes, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let me pray. Father, we would see Jesus. Amen. You may have a seat. I do believe we have all heard of the nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty. The story, as you know, Humpty Dumpty, this egg, sits on a wall. Y'all can go with me because I know you heard it. He's sitting on a wall, and on this wall, he's on top of the world. Life is good. Things are like they should be. But as we know how the story goes, something happened. We don't know how and we don't know why, but Humpty Dumpty fell off of this great fall, falls off of this wall. As the story goes, he falls, life is shattered. But what does he do? Humpty Dumpty does not go to his family and friends. He does not call someone on the phone and tell them all the bad things that have happened since he fell off this wall. Humpty Dumpty goes to the government. He goes to the king and the king's men to try to rectify what's, went, what's gone wrong in his life. The king and his men, they, this is the government now, pulls all the resources together. They got resources, y'all. They could even make legislation. They could do whatever, but no matter what the king and the men did, they were not able to deal with Humpty Dumpty's problem. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty back together again. Humpty Dumpty is like many people today. Their lives are shattered. Their hopes and dreams are dashed. Confusion has set in. When we look at our world, when we examine what is taking place in our lives and around the world, 
just think about all of the things that we see on the news. We know what's happening with Israel and Palestine, Hamas. We see that. We know what's been going on with Russia and Ukraine. And just this week, we look at the news and we see what's happened in Maine, that tragedy. And again, there are so many more things. We're not even talking about locally. And we're not even talking about personally. But we see all of these things happening. And when I see this, and hopefully when you see this, you would learn that what we have is a spiritual problem. This is the root cause. It's a spiritual issue. The problem with humanity, the problem with all that we see happening around us, out there and in here, is rooted in a spiritual problem. I believe this is what Jesus is pointing Nicodemus to as he addresses him. See, Jesus and his work, it intrigued Nicodemus. It's like when Nicodemus goes to Jesus, he, he, he's asking him, who are you? Who, who has given you the authority to do this? And I love what Jesus says to him. He doesn't even, you know, if you, if you talk to me, like, you'll find out real quick that you're going to go in circles in a conversation with me. I, I'm sorry if, if I make you feel that way. But I, I just enjoy the banter. I, I enjoy the conversation. But Jesus does not go here to get here. He gets straight to the point. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus shows us in this text every single person must be born again to be a part of God's kingdom. See, Nicodemus and those who are like him, they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for this coming king who would establish their kingdom, this Davidic kingdom, this kingdom that was promised to David in 2 Samuel 7. They were waiting for this one to come who would establish God's kingdom on earth. Nicodemus and others like him were waiting for this. They longed for the son of David. See, in God's kingdom, the problems that we are witnessing, the problems that the Jews witnessed in their day, would be no more. I don't know about you, but I long for the day where we don't have any more problems. I long for the day that we don't feel any more pain. I long for the day that we don't have to cry another tear. Am I the only one that's longing for that? I'm, I'm ready for that day. But that day will not happen in this world in which we are living. We are longing for a kingdom that's already here but not yet. God's kingdom to come in its fullness. So Jesus tells Nicodemus, in order to be a part of this kingdom, you must be born again. As we walk through this text, Jesus engages a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was an educated man. That's what I love. When we get to verse 10, we'll be there next week. It says that he was a teacher in Israel. He wasn't no dummy, right? He was an educated man. The text also say that he was a Pharisee. So now he's a part of this group of men 
who were serious about following God and his rules. Serious. Right? They were going to make sure that everything that is done, it has to be in line with God and his word. But it also says that Nicodemus was a part of the ruling class. He was a ruler. He was uh, in uh, the upper echelon in the political realm. He was a part of what's called the Sanhedrin. So this man checked all the boxes. Yet he did not understand what Jesus said to him. Being born again made no sense. Because a person already born, the way Nicodemus says, that person, especially when he's old, he can't go back into his mother's womb and be born. So it made no sense to this educated man. What Jesus shared with him as a biblical scholar, Jesus informs him that he should have known what he was talking about. He should have known this. If he is a student of the scripture, let me ask a question. Just you think about, are you a student of the text? Are you, or am I a student of the text? Or do you believe that the only one who should study the text are preachers? Are you a student of the text? This brings me to what I want to share with us this morning. As we understand scripture, as we look at God's word, here's our point. To be a part of God's kingdom, we need total transformation. We need to be regenerated. This is what Jesus is pointing Nicodemus to. If you want to be a part of God's kingdom, transformation must take place. Nicodemus, you should understand this because God's word bears this out. To be a part of God's kingdom, we need a total transformation. We need to be regenerated. But what does it mean to be, what, is, what does it mean to be regenerated? What does regeneration mean? Look at this definition with me. Regeneration is entirely the work of the Holy Spirit where he removes, where he renovates the heart, the core of a person's being by implanting a new principle of desire, purpose, and action that finds expression in the positive response to the gospel and its Christ. The work of regeneration belongs to who? The Holy Spirit. He is doing a work in our hearts, changing our hearts giving us new desire so that when we hear this gospel proclaimed, now because things are new within us, we are able to respond positively to what God has said. But why do we need to be regenerated? Again, we live in a time, we live in a world where we think that we are inherently good people. I'm not a bad person. And typically we say this when we are comparing ourselves with other people. So I look at him, I'll be like, oh, I ain't as bad as him. He smoke. He, he, he drink heavily. He, he, he beats on his wife. I don't do that. I'm better. But I'm comparing myself with another human. But what happens when I compare myself to a holy God? What happens when we do that? Something is wrong in my inner being because when I compare myself to God, I realize I don't measure up. This is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. 
He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, look at it, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Does this include only a certain segment of people or every person? This includes every single person, even that beautiful child that is born. For those of us who have kids, and, and, and we remember this, when, when my wife gave birth to my son, I'm looking like, man, this is, a, this is my son, right? Wonderful. He's, he's beautiful. I, I, I love him. But the text says he's dead in sin. I mean, his, his, his nature is warped as a human. So all I want to say is that our spiritual condition is deplorable. There is nothing that we could do about our condition that would make ourselves right with God. This is why we need a new birth. And you all are sitting here this morning. Those, and I, I know just about all of you, you trusted in the Lord Jesus. At some point in your life, the Lord snatched you up. You didn't look for him. I don't care if you was born in a Christian household. But the Lord determined to snatch you and to bring you to himself, giving you a new nature so that when you heard the gospel, whether that was from your parents or someone else, you responded favorably. This is why we need the new birth. In the previous chapter in verses 24 to 25, we learned last week that Jesus did not entrust himself to the people who said they believed. Why? Because the text says that Jesus knew what was in man. <laughs> he knew all people, the text says. I, I don't like when people say, God knows my heart. You're right. You're right. Or only God can judge me. Man, we make that statement. That should make my knees buckle and tremble. Only God can judge me. That's terrifying. Because if he knows me, Apart from Christ saving me, if he knows me, then I'm under judgment already. Like, it should freak me out that this is true. The text says he knows all people. Now, the one who knew all people is about to enter into conversations with particular individuals. And he's going to get to the heart of their problem. And we're starting with this man, Nicodemus. Our text says in verse 2 that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Again, in chapter 2, it, it, it tells us that there were people who believed in Jesus because of the signs, plural, that he did. Now, this Nicodemus went to Jesus because he also recognized the signs, plural, that he did. But wait, hold up, hold up. Now, if we've been following this gospel and paying attention... We only have one sign up to this point. That's him turning water to wine. But they keep saying they believe because of the signs, plural. What's going on here? In this gospel, John shares that Jesus did many signs. Look with me at John chapter 20, verse 30 where he says that now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which Notice it, 
are not written in this book. In other words, the signs that John is going to give us are the ones significant for his purpose. Seven signs. There are other signs that he did in another place. John says, if everything written about Jesus was written, there are not enough books that can contain all that he did. But for John's purpose, he writes, John 20, verse 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose of the book. So Nicodemus recognized the signs. So he comes to Jesus at night and he says to Jesus, Rabbi, we know, notice that we, he's speaking plural now, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. We all, I've been in conversations or I've been reading commentaries and people say, why did, why did Nicodemus come at night? Man, they get all kind of names, Nick at night, right? All kind of stuff, right? Trying to figure out why did Jesus go at night? Now, we've already seen and, and, and we, continue, we will continue to see in this gospel that John would use words that have a double meaning. A double meaning. Here he uses it metaphorically for moral and spiritual darkness, but it also means in real time, nighttime. So Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, but John is also showing us that his own night was darker than he knew. There is a spiritual darkness in him that Jesus needs to expose. So when we have not trusted in Jesus, I, I see this with a lot of people, we have not trusted in Jesus. Uh, a person, they, they believe that they're walking in light, but indeed they're walking in darkness. And that is deep darkness. See, a person cannot at the same time, at one time, walk in light and, in, and also walk in darkness. That's not, you, you, biblically, you cannot do this. It's like going to a water fountain and get salt water and fresh water uh, from the same spout. It can't happen. Look with me at what John writes in 1 John 1 and 6. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. I'm walking in the light. But indeed, biblically, I'm walking in darkness. John shows us. See, Nicodemus went to Jesus because of the signs, not because he was interested in the truth that Jesus gave. Does this sound like people today? There are people who have an interest in Jesus. We see it everywhere. We see they got Jesus t-shirts. They're Jesus statements. Just Google Jesus and your computer doesn't have enough storage that will come up, with, that, that will show, that will bring all of the things about Jesus up. Even when you watch movies, like there are movies about Jesus. Some of it is like they're trying to be faithful. Some of it is just crass. But there is this interest in Jesus, but there is not an interest in the truth that he is sharing. Jesus spoke the truth. If you come to Jesus, you come to him rightly. He is the truth, the Bible says. He is the way. He is the life. But many people are not interested in what he spoke. And I don't want to just talk about people out there, but I want to talk about us even in the church. Are we interested in obeying him? His truth. 
I, 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 I deplore the way we talk today in our culture. My truth. <laughs> Everybody got their truth. It's so subjective. That means I can go stab a dude in the neck. And you ask me, what? Well, oh, but that's my truth, though. I'm just being true to me. Right? Like, it just seems so flighty and it seems so chaotic. It seems anarchy is at our doorstep. But there is an objective truth, and there's only one. And it's the truth that Jesus gives. So Nicodemus approached Jesus because of the signs. And, and we look at his life and interaction with Jesus. And when we see Nicodemus, he embodies broken religion and broken humanity. Nicodemus embodies this. And Jesus speaks to his brokenness because in verse 3 he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus says, unless one is born again. Now, even though Jesus is talking to a man, this is for both men and women. Every person on the planet, this is appropriate for. You must be born again. Now, the word for again has a double meaning. It could mean again, but it also means from above. But as we're going to see, Nicodemus only understood it one way. He just saw it as again. But Jesus is actually speaking from above. You must be born from above. This is the regeneration that Jesus is speaking about. Now, Nicodemus and the other Jews, stay with me, they affirm that all Jews would be admitted into the kingdom except for those who were guilty of apostasy. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, every single Jew, every single person must be born again to be a part of the kingdom of God. But what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom? We cannot see earthly kingdoms as synonymous with God's kingdom. America's kingdom is not God's kingdom. I'm going to say that again. America's kingdom is not God's kingdom. No kingdom on earth, wherever it is, no matter how good it is, is not God's kingdom. Look at this definition from Dr. Tony Evans. I love the way he defined the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is God's comprehensive governance in all creation. God's comprehensive governance in all creation. This means that in God's kingdom, believers live according to his rules and standards in every area of life. What area of life does not God's kingdom touch? Every area. Not just those big areas, but even in the, the, the corners of those rooms in my house. Any place that I'm interacting, if I am a part of his kingdom, if I have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he has comprehensive rule. Not, even for those who are unbelievers, they will find out that God is ruling all of this. I love what one of my, my, my friends said about God's control. He, he said it in his country swag. He said, either he is or he ain't. Either God is God or he's not. Either he's sovereign over, controlling everything, or he's not God. Jesus says, in order to be a part of the kingdom, you must be born 
again. Every one of us must be changed, transformed, and regenerated. And this change does not come from self-help books at Barnes & Noble. It does not even come from those self-help books that we used to find on the shelf at Lifeway. I used to work for Lifeway, so I know what I'm talking about. You're not going to find, from a human standpoint, anything that's going to say, this is how you make your life better or living your best life now. In order for your life to be changed, friends, you and I must be born again. There was a renowned psychiatrist named Robert Coles who told the story this story to a graduating class at Harvard. And it was many years ago. He said this as he spoke to him. He said, a highly regarded psychiatrist recently told me in despair, I have been doing therapy with a man for 15 years. He is as angry and self-centered and as mean as he was the first day he walked into my office. The only difference is that now he knows why he is so angry and mean. This man had information on how his childhood emotional wounding affected him as an adult, throwing him into dysfunction, yet he still has not changed. What does this show us? We don't need more information. We don't need more information. We need transformation. You and I, we got information at our fingertips at any moment. We are, we are, we are self-proclaimed doctors. Feel, feel some pain in your shoulder. What you're going to? Pull out the phone. Google. Pain in shoulder. <laughs> information. It's probably a lie, but information about all of this, right? Again, my point is we have all of this information at our fingertips. It's not information that we need, friends. We need transformation. This is what Jesus shared with Nicodemus. However, Nicodemus couldn't understand what Jesus shared with him. This is why he asked in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus, this educated man, was slow to understand. He was confused about this new birth. What does all of this mean? Now, Nicodemus was probably an old man at this point. So he says, how can a man be born when he is what? Old. All of this was a new category for Nicodemus. I don't know about you, but when you were introduced to new categories, for me, it's like being on a new continent that never existed. So you're trying to figure out what is being said. So Jesus responded to his literal thinking by saying to him in verses 5 to 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But what is Jesus talking about? Water and spirit. Now, if you're like me, you've heard all kind of talks and sermons about what water and spirit means. Many people talk about this is baptism. Many people talk about this is spiritual birth as well as physical birth. Like thinking about the, the, the birthing of a child and all of this stuff is, is, is not right. There's just throwing stuff out there. What we need to do is go back to the book. 
Jesus, his Bible, forgive me for getting in my bag right now. This is what interests me. Jesus' whole Bible was Genesis to Malachi. And Jesus quotes and he lives in his word. And so when he speaks of water in the spirit, we need to go back to the Old Testament to see what Jesus is talking about, where the water and spirit are combined. Look with me at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. Here God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. There's the water. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. There's spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In other words, God says to the people that I'm going to do something in you that's going to cause you to obey me. Here in Ezekiel, water and spirit come together to depict cleansing from impurity and transformation that will enable a person to follow God with their whole heart. Now, to depict this great transformation, the next chapter in Ezekiel is Ezekiel 37. What do we have in this chapter? It's a valley of dry bones. Now, this is, this is made for TV stuff here, y'all. This is, it's, you just see a valley of full of dead men's bones. God tells Ezekiel, go prophesy to the bones. Speak to what is dead. Ezekiel obeys what happens. Bones start coming together. I can just picture it in my mind. You just see a hip bone connecting to a, 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 a thigh bone and a knee bone. Ankle bones coming together. Broken toes are now fixed. Fingers that may have been chopped off are coming back together. Heads that were severed are now coming uh, back onto a skeleton. Then all of a sudden he prophesies and the body now begins to put on muscle and skin. But that was a problem. They, these, they, they, these bodies are together, but no li there's no life in it. And then God's spirit hits these men, and it, they come back alive again. Transformation. Only God can do it. We can't do it. Only he can. See, being born of water and spirit signals a new birth. As a church, we want to see corporate transformation. We want to see it corporately, but before it can be corporate, it must first be individual. Each and every person in here, you must be born again. You must be changed. This is why we go out and we share with people who are lost. Because we want to see them. I don't know, if your heart doesn't break over lostness, my prayer is that God will give you a new heart, me a new heart if it's me, to see a lost person and, and just weep over their lostness, but get to work in just sharing. We don't change a person who's lost. I don't know if anybody's ever come to you and shared faith with you, and they tried to convince you by their words that you got to change. And when you hear it, you're like, man, I wish this person would stop talking to me because their breath is offensive to me right now. I just need them to stop talking to me. But then someone else comes and shares and now something happens because my eyes are open and I hear the gospel clearly. I prick to the heart and then I just want to fall on my knees and say, Jesus, I repent. Save me. This is why we go out and share. Jesus then says in verse 7, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
We're almost closing. We're almost done, y'all. When, when, when John uses the word flesh, he's not using it like Paul. When Paul is using it uh, to speak about the sinful nature of humanity, John is not using it that way. He is referring to simple human birth that produces humans belonging to the human family. This is just natural. But it is the spirit of God, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It is the spirit of God that makes a person a child of God. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 16, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you, you, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We don't control this birth. This is why Jesus said in verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The word, here's a double meaning again, the word for wind and spirit is the same word in Greek. It's the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. But when it's used in the New Testament, it is primarily referring to spirit, capital S, spirit. Jesus is drawing an analogy between the effects of the wind and the effects of the spirit. You and I, we cannot control nor understand the wind. Now, I do know we have instruments now with technology, and we know, oh, we got a northeast wind. I don't even know how they can find this stuff out. Any of my meteorologist friends in here or, or those who study it. Oh, we got a northeast wind. We got a straight liner. Huh? I just see the wind, the trees moving. Um, but we don't understand it, nor can we control it. Jesus is saying, just like you don't understand the, the wind, you can't understand the spirit, nor can you control him, but you see his effects. How do I know he see, you see his effects? You are sitting here today in Christ. I'm sitting here today in Christ. You, you can't tell me, now I'm going back in my black church bag, you can't tell me what the Lord ain't done for me. I know I've been changed. I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I will be, but praise God I'm on the way. Not in my own strength, but it's in his strength that's making me what I am. You see the wind, you see its effects, but you don't know where it comes from. So it is with the spirit. The person who is born of God has their origin and destiny in the unseen God. Your origin, my origin, is not by human decision. It is because of the spirit of God at work in our lives. Many of us have had remodeling done in our homes. We've had it, right? And, and if you've had a contractor or a remodeler come to your house and you want to get this done either by force or by uh, just your own will, you want to get it changed, somebody's bringing a bunch of samples to you. Now, they're not even bringing physical samples so much, so they, they got the iPad. They can show you all the stuff and just draw and just put it out there for you. And you're just like, ooh, we can do this to your house. And if you're like me, you get excited. Ooh, I like that. I like that until you start seeing the price of it. But this remodeler says, I could do this with your house. I could do this with your room. But here's the problem when we see and get excited about what the remodeler or the contractor will do. 
it's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Everything in the house is going to get tore up. It's going to get smashed and tore up. Plastic is going to be all over the place. Dust is all over the place. In order for this house to get to where you want it to be. Now, many of us, we want God to give us a new life or a new situation, but we don't want God to touch anything. You go to the remodeler and say, but you, no, you, yeah, I want that, but you can't go in my room. The remodeler will tell you, well, you don't want your house fixed. You don't want this work done. Friends, we have to trust God. We have to totally surrender. Give permission, God, do your work. Do your work in me so that he could make all things new. See, for Nicodemus in this gospel, Jesus tore things up in his life, messed them up, John chapter 3. But if you continue to read the gospel of John, you will see a progression in Nicodemus' life. If you get to John chapter 7, the Pharisees are trying to condemn Jesus again. But now here Nicodemus shows up and he says, wait a minute. I mean, who is on the inside of the Pharisees says, wait a minute. We're not going to condemn him before we give him a trial. So we see now his heart softening. Something is happening in Nicodemus' life. And then when we get to John chapter 19, after Jesus has died on the cross, who is the person that shows up? It's Nicodemus with 75 pounds of ointment, myrrh and aloes to bury his body. There was a change that took place in Nicodemus. It wasn't instantaneous. Like for you and I, that change has not been instantaneous. But the Lord destroyed his house to build a new house. This is what he does in our lives. If you're here and you don't know the Lord Jesus, my prayer is that the Spirit of God will begin to do divine surgery. Have you on the table using that, 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 that nice surgical knife, making deep cuts in your soul. But the cuts necessary to bring change in your life. For Jesus says, for unless one is born of the water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're only saved because of your work by the Spirit. The Bible says we were dead in trespasses and sins, but, at, but it also says in verse 4 that but we were made alive, made alive. Like those bones in, the, in, in, in Ezekiel 37, we were dead and you changed us, you you brought spiritual life into our lives that now impacts how we live in this world physically. Jesus, thank you for dying for us because we are only able to be sons and daughters of God because of your work. Again, we continue to see what your word says in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt.